With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lockaway channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pampers Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you, thank you, thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. Have you ever been told that you're too much, too assertive, too aggressive, too comfortable advocating for yourself? Or maybe you've been told the complete opposite, that you're not enough, not forceful enough. You don't take up enough space. You're too nice. If you're a woman and you strive to lead, then the chances are at some point in your career, you've been told that you're too much or not enough. I find this all incredibly frustrating and fascinating, and so I wrote a book about it. It's called The Likeability Trap. Since I can't interview myself, I mean, I could, but that would be weird, Juleka Lantigua-Williams, our executive producer, is here to help me break down why this matters and what to do about it. Hi, Alicia. Thank you for allowing me to convince you to do this. Only took you about a year. (laughs) (laughs) So after reading your book, I felt both personally attacked because (laughs) I generally feel like I am likable, Mm -hmm. but maybe I could put a little bit more effort into being liked. But then I also felt cheered on for precisely the same reason, because I am so much about the work all the time. And so I felt validated in that because I was like, at the end, what matters is the work. So you are someone who's actually very easy to like. You are intensely charismatic, extremely personable. What led you to land on the issue of likability as a trap? Let me tell you a story. My grandmother, once I was interviewing her about our family, and I had her go through all the grandchildren and describe all of us. And I asked her to describe me, and she was like, oh, you were just, as a child, just go, go, go. Just always had an agenda. (laughs) And then I asked her about my younger brother, and she said, oh, he was a much more lovable child. And (laughs) you know you have a likability problem on your own grandma. But there's something true about that, which is there's something about an ambitious, driven girl that as a society makes us a little uncomfortable. But I care a lot about whether or not other people like me. And that doesn't feel cool or empowered to to admit. Um, And I think part of that comes from the fact that I'm a really sensitive person. It really matters to me how I make other people feel. 
And so I would never want anyone to walk away from an interaction with me feeling less than, feeling diminished. And at the same time, I like to get stuff done. And I'm with you on that. So I think you and I definitely vibe on the, Mm -hmm. what do we need to get this done? Who's doing what and when? But I feel like today's conversation, we can have it entirely through the lens of being a Latina. Amen. Because already as a group, there is an expectation that we are social, that we are caring, that we will go the extra mile for everyone else. And we end up, in a way, having to live up to what people think is a really positive stereotype mm-hmm. about us. But the women especially, because we're already socialized yep. to be the caretaker and to do more. So tell me about growing up and when you became aware of the influences of your Latinoness, right, on that aspect of who you are. When I was doing interviews for the Likeability Trap, I interviewed Cecilia Munoz, who'd been a senior advisor to President Obama. She's now at the New America Foundation. She was a MacArthur genius. And she said something along the lines of like, we as Latinas take a grad school course in graciousness. And Mm. I think that that is right, that we are taught to be gracious. The challenge for us is that there's both that and then there's the flip, which is this expectation that we'll be like Sofia Vergara's character in Modern Family (laughs) and just be like too hot to handle and fiery. So we contend with both things, right? That we'll sort of be humble and you won't really take us seriously or that we'll be just so hot blooded and over the top that we're just ridiculous. (laughs) Um, And for me, I remember being in... AP Spanish literature, not bragging. And my teacher (laughs) um, introduced the concept of que dirá la gente? Mm. What will people say? And it resonated with me so deeply. I know you're wondering how I managed to read Spanish given that I can barely speak Spanish, but I did (laughs) because you can take your time when you're reading. And that was something that I always grew up with. And I think part of that comes from the fact that my father, even though he's born here, is born to Cuban immigrants. They grew up without a lot of means. And there was a sense of people will judge you for the way you look, then people will judge you for the way you talk. And both of those things better be in line. Yep. And so I grew up hyper aware of the fact that I was making an impression always and that that impression wasn't simply about me, but reflected on my family and then on my larger community. And that is a much greater weight to carry around than feeling that you only ever speak for yourself. No, I definitely experience some of that. And to this day, my mother texts me etiquette lessons. (laughs) Like what? (laughs) Like I heard you talk to your sister and you have to stop being so mean to her. And it's not that I'm being mean. It's that I'm really plain spoken. All right. But let's bring it back to the professional Mm -hmm. sphere because I think your book does a really beautiful job of reminding us that women still bear this burden, right? Like they are actual punishments and their actual real life material costs Mm -hmm. to not balancing that correctly. Right. We've talked a lot about the success penalty and how a woman who becomes more successful becomes less likable, which if you live in the world, you know, like you don't even need social science research to back that up. But we've talked less about is all of these little steps along the way, asking for a raise, which requires advocating for yourself. But that can sometimes come with a social cost. And that can have repercussions about which teams you get put on, which projects you're allowed to do, who gets the next promotion. I am a believer that you should go for it, but with an awareness of the fact that some of these things then have a penalty attached to them. 
Absolutely. I, but I want to get into some of the chapters because I love the way that you post some of the intrinsic and often contradictory things that women have to face professionally. So I love in chapter two that you go head on and you say, well, there's a there's a difference between likability and authenticity. But guess what? They're both luxuries. I told a woman in my life, a black woman that I was but wanted to write a book about likability. And she said, that's so white of you. (laughs) And she she wasn't wrong. Um, (laughs) And then I had an incident where I was doing a speaking engagement in front of a bunch of teens. And most of the teens were very engaged in the conversation about likability, but there was a group of girls in the back of the room. They, They were sort of not into it, I could tell. And I walked back and I said to them, like, are you not into this? And I'm freaking out because they're teenage girls and nobody's... And you want them to like you. (laughs) Um, And yes, correct. (laughs) And, And I feel responsible for the fact that I've not connected with them. And one of the girls looked up at me and said something along the lines of, likability is a thing that white ladies care about to make themselves feel better about themselves. And if it were social media video, it would have been captioned, where's the lie? Because she wasn't wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, And then as it relates to authenticity, I thought a lot about Cardi B and how she has been so revered for her authenticity, right? That like whether you love her or you hate her. I mean, even I think the people who who complain that she is, you know, a product still understand that the perceived authenticity of a Cardi B, the way she talks, the way she carries herself, it sells. Because we don't see that anymore. Everything feels so like everybody's on talking points and everybody's so finessed that there's something about seeing someone be so raw that just stands out in a crowded market. And at the same time, we now have this thing going on in, in America, specifically it seems in Silicon Valley, where there's this idea of bring your whole self to work. Mm. And it's well-intentioned, right? The idea is like if you are going through something, if your mom's really sick, of course that's going to come with you to work. If you're having issues with your children, of course that's going to come with you to work. Of course, every single part of your identity is going to come with you to work. The, the challenge is that most workplaces aren't really equipped to then receive us exactly as we are. And that's especially true if you work in a workplace that isn't particularly diverse in any set of ways. So like I had a producer, she's Cuban, and she tells a story about working in an office where they kept being like, this is guacamole. You must love guacamole because you're (laughs) Latina. And she's like, well, I do like guacamole because I like avocados, but that's a Mexican dish and I'm cute. Like she just like couldn't even, and the person kept pushing over. They're like, it's spicy. You're spicy. And she was like, this isn't okay. And so you're asking me to be authentic, but you already have a sense of what me authentically being myself would look like. So you don't really want me to show up as me who, you know, listens to Tori Amos and <laughs> likes a nice slice of like whole wheat bread. Like you have a sense of what my stylistic preferences are supposed to be. Right. And that makes it really hard for most of us to show up. So I like the examples that you gave because I think that those are the kinds of awkward moments that a lot of us have faced in an office. But today, it is actually dangerous to be your authentic self in a lot of places. You've got people randomly lashing out at Spanish speakers. You've got immigration rates that are impacting 
people immediately where fathers are just gone, mothers are being deported. And so this is very much part of who many Latinas are authentically because this is happening in the moment. So there's an implied danger for us in being our authentic self beyond the stereotypes. And listen, this is part of why I grappled with writing a book like this, which is there are so many problems in the world and so many dangers in the world that likability can feel like this really luxurious thing to take this much time to think about and to write about. But it is really subtle. And sometimes the things that are most subtle are also the most pernicious because it's hard to spot them and it's hard to have language about it. And it does bleed into this larger fear that you're talking about, which is we're living in a moment where you have a lot of Latinx people in this country who don't feel they can be themselves out in the world because there is a real corporal danger to them to move between one world where you really don't feel safe and then another space where you're being told you should feel safe, but you don't feel that you can be fully yourself is exhausting. And that is really what I heard most from women across the board, and certainly from Black women, Latino women, Asian women, which is that they're tired, Mm -hmm. that the performance of having to show up and be a certain way, even the ones who are nailing it, who are just like totally, they have found a way to fit in wherever they are all the time. They can code switch to high hell. They're tired Mm -hmm. because what you and I know is doing that dance of hoops in, hoops out, watching how I'm speaking, watching how much I'm using my hands. It's all part of a performance. At the end of the day, it's just tired. Yeah. And there's no benefit to you at all because this is all for the benefit of other people's comfort which is part of why I left corporate America two years ago because I had spent 15 years, more than that, trying to acclimate to other people's comfort level with me and my ideas. And so at one point I just decided, well, what's more important? A lot of the women that I spoke with who were happiest were women like yourself who had left these structures that had deep cultural norms and ties and started something on their own. So now that I'm outside of it, I am so much clearer about the structures and how they are reinforced, right, collectively, but also how individuals internalize them. Yes. And, you know, as I mentor young women, in our conversations, I actually try to talk to them more about the structure. So I learn, you know, okay, so where do you place in the hierarchy? How many people are laterally to you? I'm trying to get a sense of the structure in which they work, whereas you know, five years ago when I was mentoring, it was always about, well, what are you doing? How are you acting? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? Right. And now I'm recognizing that I cannot place it entirely on them. So smart. It's so smart. And it's also why I had originally wanted to, you know, I I care a lot about being liked. I believe that I pay an emotional price for that because when I put my head down on the pillow at night, I tick through all of the interactions I've had for the day and what went well and what didn't and how I might have made other people feel in that interaction. So why wouldn't you give me shit about things like, since Jaleka, Jaleka and I are on opposite schedules, right? I have, I have very young children. She has young children. So I go to bed at like 10 o'clock at night and that's just when Jaleka is getting 
started on her <laughs> exactly. workday. And then I'm up at like 5, 5.30 in the morning. And that's, and so we should like just never be texting each other because we're never up at the same hours. And Juleka will send me work texts at 10 o'clock at night. I'll wake up in the morning. I'll see them. I'll genuinely want to apologize to be like, I'm sorry, bedtime mass at 10 o'clock. But Juleka reads it as, I'm sorry, bedtime in my house is at 10 o'clock. Don't text me at 10 o'clock at night. And we will spend 15 minutes on the phone the next day sorting through who has the most feelings about that text exchange. There's just something that I love about you because I actually need to work through those things in order to then go get the work done because it will set me back if I feel that I have made someone feel bad. That's not, that's not an interest. You hurt yourself by thinking that you hurt me. Correct. It's a really vicious cycle. (laughs) Anyhow, the point is that as a person who cares a lot, I wanted to write a book about like learning to care less. I like love these Instagram memes where it's like, you do you and you don't care what they think about it. Or like, like do you and screw the haters. And I'm always like, yeah, saving it, liking it. And then what I realized is it's just not that easy. It's just not that easy because we all work with people and there is something about being relational and about being liked. And even if you don't care about any of that, there's an expectation that you will care about those things. And so if you're a woman who's just boldly out there in the world doing you, there's a likelihood that at some point you're going to be penalized for that. And I don't think that's the way the world should work, but it is the way that the world should work. And because I'm a realist, I also want you to have that full understanding of what it is that you're up against. And so I realized that saying to women, just care less, just like Alicia, just like go to sleep and just don't even think about it. Wake up to that text and just don't even think about it. It's like, well, first of all, no. I think the fact that I'm sensitive to other people is a good thing. I wish there were more people in the world who were sensitive to other people. I don't want you to mute yourself or moderate yourself in response to that. But I do like an awareness of other people. And also just like caring less becomes another thing to do. <laughs> like I just it's like I got and like now I gotta like I'm washing I gotta wash my hair I gotta brush my teeth I gotta like go to the gym and then on top of it I've got to care less like that's just it's I've got I've got an endless list right. of female self-improvement I'm not going to put another to do on there for other women yeah let's talk a little bit about how other women play into this mm-hmm. because I've definitely experienced both the benefit, but also the drawbacks of having women who are both colleagues and supervisors both advocate for me, but also get in the way sometimes because they personally feel like there's no connection or that they just don't like me. Right. There's is one of the hardest things to grapple with, which is this would be much easier to deal with and to write about if it existed in a binary where men were the only bad players in this, but people of all genders can be bad players in this. One of the things that I find most salient about this is that women tend to over-index on getting feedback that is really subjective and really based on their style. So, Juleka, you're too assertive. You need, right? I mean, how many times have you gotten that feedback? A thousand. And sometimes that feedback can be okay or helpful. But on the whole, what I heard from women, what I have experienced myself is that it ends up putting way too much time, way too much attention on things like how you sit in your chair, how you hold your hands, how you use your voice. And that means that you're not doing the work of focusing on like, I don't like the way you cut that package or (laughs) you booked a guest that didn't make sense for this program and actually focusing on the material skills that impact your work or that um, this was a, a piece of advice that was given to me by an executive coach, Katerina Castula. She said that when you get the input, you're too assertive that you say, compared to who? Ooh, I like that. 
I also think that advice works great when you hear it said about someone else. So that if someone were ever to say to me, Juleka's really pushy, that I could say, I don't experience her that way compared to who? When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in Pampers Swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blow-up barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blow-ups. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size 8. And now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important. And it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer, M&M's for all fun kind. You and I are very ambitious women. We talk about this all the time. We have these obnoxious, really big dreams for the show, for ourselves. But you and I can talk about that safely because we are building it as we go, right? It's such a privilege. Women who are in a more traditional structure, they're penalized for verbalizing, even to their bosses, what their goals are, what their ambitions are for themselves. Right. It is very often seen as a power grab. Mm. And so one of the things I think was really interesting is that there's all this research that shows that Black women are wildly ambitious and they are not ambivalent about their ambition. They are very comfortable telling you how ambitious they are. And it makes sense because ambition is the engine that powers you through. When everyone is telling you no, ambition is the thing that keeps you driving, keeps you going. And so, of course, Black women who are more likely to be invisible in a work structure cannot afford to be ambivalent about their ambition mm. because they need to have an extra strong motor to power them through. They need to be their own best advocates because very often they're working in an environment where they have no other advocates. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So much of the career advice of, let's say, the last 10 years has focused on how women can tweak themselves and yep. change at the margins uh, in order to succeed. And 
we've hyper-focused a little too much on this concept of self-efficacy. If you would just negotiate for a better title, if you would just negotiate for more money, if you would just tell yep. people how ambitious you are. And, and what I am trying to do is say, no, 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 no. It's way more complicated than that. And we have to stop putting it back on women to fix these issues as though self-advocacy is the answer and the panacea. Yep. It's it's not. It they're very often, yes, they may get something for it, but they may also pay a price for it. Agreed. So we haven't actually grappled with the fact that sometimes you don't like people. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Like you just, there is something that's not connecting. There is something that rubs you the wrong way, but you respect their contribution. Yep. Right. And so you've got to have a way forward with that person. Right. And so, which is where my very basic focus on the work philosophy really comes in handy, because as long as that person is performing their work to the best of their ability, I'm great. Like, I don't need to have you over for dinner. I'm great because you are meeting the expectations that we set collectively for the team. This is different than what you're saying, but I do want to make this point, which is it's taken me a long time to also learn that everyone on my team cannot be like me. Mm. Right. So I once had a team and we did this management assessment and we were all conflict diverse. So we had the sweetest, nicest team that all got along <laughs> great, but we got nothing done because we weren't willing to confront each other when when things. And then there were other people whose style really bothered me. And I felt like the way they were was almost specifically antagonistic towards me. And what I realized is no, just the way they do their work is different. They're very comfortable with confrontation or they need to be very, very, very organized. Like a very organized person for me is sort of a difficult thing because I am like much more flying by the seat of my pants, which allows me to do a lot of the things I do. But it's why I need a partner who's much more organized than I am. You need both of those things. You need someone who is very comfortable with confrontation so that when you have trouble with a vendor, they're the one who jumps on the phone and and has that conversation, right? You can't both be hiding in the corner the way that I would like to and be like, I'll just pay that bill even though you didn't deliver me (laughs) That is not a model for success. No, it is not. Let's talk a little bit about the issue of women and anger, because mm. a lot of our ambition gets mistranslated there eventually was... and diluted to anger. So much good research on this. When a man is angry, there is this sense that like, wow, something must have really set him off. He's responding to an external variable. When a woman expresses anger, there's the sense of something must be wrong with her. She's unhinged. As the researchers who who did this research, they summed it up saying, she's a bitch, he's just having a bad day. And think about what that means in a workplace, right? That if you're sort of, you've, you've asked for something, you're not getting the thing that you asked for, and then you express any anger or frustration about it, it's like, woo, what's wrong with her? As opposed to thinking, wow, my not delivering this to her in time has created this response. And so I want to take some responsibility for that, or I need to make sure this doesn't happen again. And when you are seen as angry, when you are then seen as a problem or unhinged, it has major implications for how much people think you even deserve to get paid. Your competence takes a hit because of it. It also, this I found so interesting, makes you less persuasive, which is that if you're in a meeting and you're a woman and you deploy anger, it can very often have the effect of making people less invested in what you're saying, believe less what you're saying, be less bought into your argument, where if you're a man, it actually adds credence to your argument. Mm. 
That's really fascinating because we, I'm mean, definitely generalizing here, but Latinas, we're very comfortable with anger, mm-hmm. I find. We are. <laughs> and actually, I find that we actually love hardest through anger because a lot of it builds from... I ha- care. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So now I'm thinking about, okay, so if as a Latina, I'm supposed to come into my workplace and be authentically myself... Part of how I often express my authenticity is to care so much about something that I get really frustrated and angry. I often now step back and I say, wow, that person really cares. Of course I want an employee that really cares. Mm. I don't want an employee that's mailing it in. I don't want a partner that's mailing it in. Okay, you're angry. Like that to me in some ways is a really positive indication that this is near and dear to you. Mm-hmm. And that should be something that... Now, you don't want anger to be wielded against people, right? Like, right. you don't want people cursing other people out in the right. office. That's not the standard that's I'm talking about. Though. Yes, no, that's exactly right. But all right. So now we know that <laughs> being liked takes work. Now we know that it can also be a distraction. But now we also know that there are penalties, real material penalties, to not being liked. Let's start with the thing that is the closest, which mm-hmm. is the self-assessment. How can you help someone just sit down and do a self-assessment and say, do I care too much whether I'm liked? And is that helping or hindering me? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that's that's one of the things I would say. Is I, I very rarely spoke with someone who's like, I don't know how important this is to me. It was either this is the story of my life and it is so important <laughs> to me that other people like me. Or it was, I don't give a damn about that. If anything, maybe I haven't thought about the fact that I have in subtle ways been penalized for that. But Mm. people pretty much know. And so what I would say to my fellow carers is that you can't just stop caring. That's not realistic. What you can do or what I have started to give a lot of thought to is shifting the focus to something else. Something like clarity when you are leading a team, can you be really clear with other people about where you want to go, how you plan to get there, and why it is important to do it in that manner? And then having a grasp on whose opinion matters. I mean, you are my business partner. Your opinion matters to me a lot. Our listeners, your opinion matters to me a lot. More than mine. But there has to be a pantheon in which that exists such that not everybody's opinion matters equally. You have to know who's really important to you because you can't make everyone happy and you can't make everyone like you. It's just an impossibility. It's not the way that likability works. And so I think especially in an office environment or in an industry environment, having a very clear sense of These are the people who get me, who see me, and to whom my product matters the most, and allowing that to guide some of your decision-making as opposed to trying to please everyone you ever meet. Right. So in the process of writing this book and researching it and reading all about the impact, the effects, how to grow through this, what did Alicia learn about how she wrestles with likability? And are you making adjustments? What I learned is that I, like so many women, really see things as a me problem and not as a structural problem. And I am very um, quick 
to drink the Kool-Aid in the sense that we all want to believe we could solve the problems ourselves. Mm -hmm. I want to believe that I have control over my own destiny. And sometimes it's hard to step back and say, I am operating within a system and a structure that simply wasn't built by me or for me. And the rules do not apply to me. So right as I was finishing writing the book, I had a meal with one of my best friends and she was giving me shit. She was like, well, you never interviewed me for the book. And I said, well, do you want to be interviewed right now? Like it's not in yet. And she so smart, so ambitious, so tough, has always gotten these glowing reviews at work. And she had just gotten a review um, where someone said, you know, some some people who you're managing find you find you difficult. And this is not a person who cries. So she starts crying. So I start crying. I'm probably going to start crying now because I really just like net, we've been friends for a very long time and I've rarely seen her cry. And she's sitting there crying and she has so much work. I mean, the workload is just over the top. And so I say to her, maybe what you need to do is you need to flag for someone at the office that there really is just too much on your plate right now. And that's part of what's causing this disconnect with your team. And she tells me, I just went to a management training where we were told as women, that when we have too much going on, we should never say we have too much going on. What? We should instead say, I've got a lot of urns in the fire or um, I'm juggling a lot of projects and they're all really interesting. And it broke my heart, the idea of a woman drowning in her own work and being told to smile. Right. Right. That you're like, I'm drowning. And instead of saying, could you toss me a lifesaver? Right. That we were like, just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> you're doing great. Right. And that I'm the type of person who just keeps going. I'm the type of person who doesn't like to ask for help mm -hmm. or to say, but I really feel that we have been bamboozled into believing that all of these problems are ours to fix. Oh, I know, which is why two days after you gave birth, <laughs> I was like, uh, slow your roll. Um, why are you booking studios and guests? And you were like, I got to do it. I got to do it. And so knowing you well enough, all I said was, how can I support you? It's one of the best things you say. Because at least you have to recognize that we see that you need support, right? So that without making any judgment whatsoever, right? So that's the implication that I'm not judging you because you're trying to do a lot. I'm simply saying, okay, you're trying to do a lot. Here's an extra pair of hands. And so that I'm also getting much better at. So one, I'm definitely getting better at saying when you ask me, how's your week going? I will be like, oh my God, it's complete shit. <laughs> or it's been a month long this week, or at least there's an admission there. And that allows me to work with you better because right. sometimes it tells me back off of her. Like, get, give her a minute. This doesn't need to get done today. It can get done Thursday or Friday. Like, give her the breathing room because she's dealing with a bunch of stuff. Right. And that, I think, is the ambition of bring your whole self to work. That if I know sort of what you're dealing with with your kids, what you're dealing with with your husband, what you're dealing with with your – in like, if I know the whole thing, it gives me more space to let you do you. Agreed. Anything that we haven't talked about that you want to talk about? Yes, I do. We are going to be selling 25 signed copies of the book. Um, these, these, um, these sales matter. They matter a lot during the first few weeks that a book is out. Um, 
it matters to me mostly to get this idea out into the world and to liberate people who feel like the way that they lead isn't the way that they're supposed to lead. I think we need a bigger vision of leadership. So it really would mean a lot to me if you would consider buying the book in any of its various forms. Um, And I also think that when you have Latina writers that succeed, what it tells the industry is that other Latina writers can succeed. And we can write, I'm not a business person, and I wrote a business book. Um, And Publishers Weekly put it on the top 10 business and economic books for fall 2019, which is not bad for a girl who never took Act 10. So (laughs) please... Uh, if if you would spend the money on it, I, I would I would really it would mean a lot to me. Yeah, so those twenty five copies are going to be signed with your names on them and whoever else's names. And so you know, after you finish this thing, head on to our website at latinatolatina.com backslash shop. Thank you, Alicia. I think I like you even more after this. <laughs> You're such a chisball. <laughs> Thanks, as always, for joining us. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lentiqua Williams and me. Maria Muriel is our producer. Carolina Rodriguez is our sound engineer. Emma Forbes is our assistant producer. We love hearing from you, so email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. And remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pandora, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. And please leave a review. It's one of the quickest ways to help us grow as a community. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.